Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the soundtrack to a life. In the trees, it's coming. And hello! Welcome back to the Soundtrack to a Life, the podcast where people have opinions about music and then talk about those at length. A thing that I would have done anyway, but you would not have been able to listen to. I am Chris, with me today is Sarah. Sarah, tell everybody about yourself! Um, hi. I feel very put on the spot, even though you warned me just a second ago that I was going to have to do this. And I've listened to the show. What's there about me? I am a very opinionated white lady. Yeah, that sums it up. All right, so yeah. that's literally, I am opinionated, <laughs> is the only criteria that I require yeah. for this show, so. I actually, like, I uh, was writing down some of my opinions on this album to prepare, and then I was like, Sarah, you're not being very fun. So I just stopped halfway through the album. Solid. The album, in this case, specifically, is Kate Bush's 1985 album, The Hounds of Love. Let's talk for a minute about the idea of influence. If you grew up listening to popular music in the 1990s, you'd hear the phrase, she sounds a bit like Kate Bush, applied to a certain very specific type of female performer. A woman with a flair for theatricality, attacking the pop charts from somewhere out of left field, presenting something too weird to be easily quantified with total confidence, would be compared to Kate Bush. Because often, there was nowhere else to easily file them away. Bjork would be compared to Kate Bush, or Tori Amos, or PJ Harvey. It was as much about the attitude with which the performer presented themselves as it was about the music they were making. But Kate Bushness was a thing that, even if you couldn't specifically define it, you knew when you saw. This is the scale and scope of Kate Bush's impact on popular music that she can be used as shorthand for that sort of very specific, very unusual creative energy. And her catalog, I think, very much justifies the regard in which she's held. Sounding like Kate Bush became a cottage industry in the 90s, because Kate Bush herself, between 1993 and 2005, took an extended leave of absence from music. But the work that she did in the first 15 years of her career, and the 13 since her return, have showcased a woman who is full of ideas, passion, and unrelenting confidence in her own unique creative vision. The Hounds of Love is not my favorite Kate Bush record, though it's probably top three. But you didn't ask for my favorite Kate Bush record. You asked for the big one. This is the commercial apex of her run of 80s records, the high-water mark where she was actually managing to be all over the radio, scoring big pop hits and selling millions of copies of an album that was, by any objective measure, super fucking weird. This is the one where... Rather than trying to fit into the pop landscape as it was, she bent the arc of pop culture to accommodate her, through nothing but talent, determination, and an unerring confidence in her own gifts. And in doing so, she did more than build a career. She created a new archetype for future pop musicians to explore. For my money, this is where Kate Bush graduated from popular singer-songwriter to abstract concept that future generations could explore and expand upon. And that's worth celebrating. The world of popular music is a better, richer, weirder place because of Kate Bush, and that's worthy of note. And The Hounds of Love is the culmination of a period in pop where one of the most popular artists in the world was also one of the most interesting, and that doesn't happen nearly as often as I'd like. 
you have to take the time to enjoy it when it does. So Sarah, you'd never heard Hounds of Love by Kate Bush, and now you have. Tell me, what do you think? I think that the description you just gave was the nice version of all the things I would say about it. Like if Kate Bush's mom wrote my opinion, that's what it would sound like. <laughs> <laughs> I hold you in very high esteem, and so I was very excited to hear what Christopher Monroe would have chosen for me to listen to. I do love chick rock and a lot of things that would be described as like Kate Bush, but woof, not this. I have some questions actually for you as a person about this album. Yeah, hit me. How old were you when you discovered this album? Because this doesn't sound like something a seven-year-old boy would have listened to. No, absolutely not. This I discovered after the fact. Uh, my first experiences with Kate Bush would probably be junior high, high school, after hearing a couple of artists that I like compared to her. Oh, okay. Like whom? Tori Amos sounds eerily like Kate Bush, okay. for someone who claims never to have listened to her. And the first time that I was told that, I went, well, who the fuck is Kate Bush? <laughs> <laughs> and then went back and tracked it down. Gotcha. I didn't live through any of the 80s. I skipped it entirely and was born basically as soon as it was over. So this album was hilariously experimental to me in ways that 90s music didn't usually get. Like there was a lot of heroin meltdowns in the 90s, but not as experimental. This album to me sounds like she was in a gap year when she wrote it. I don't know where she's from, but it sounds like she was in a gap year and she was just like backpacking through Eurasia. And so like she started out somewhere close to home or close to her own culture, at least to what we would expect to hear, and then slowly moves into weirder and weirder places as the album goes on. Yeah, that actually does kind of check out. <laughs> the second half of the record is a conceptual suite of songs titled The Ninth Wave, telling a story about a person who is drifting alone at sea at night. Yeah. Um, is it because she looked up too much? Because there's at least two songs in the first half that are about looking at the sky. That's very true, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, does Kate Bush fall into the ocean at some point? I could picture it. Like, she's just, like, staring up into sky, walking, and then just, like, walks off the edge. Possibly. There's a good history of... Staring at the stars as yeah, a bit of sure. imagery that artists can go back to. Yeah, absolutely. But it is leaned on. Heavily. A couple of times here. Heavily, yeah. There's kind of, I feel like three themes is like sad because I'm not sure if she says lover or mother frequently or I'm looking at the sky. I'm optimistic or like almost optimistic. It's, <laughs> there's a lot going on in this album. It's very true. She's one of those um, yeah. old school, like, this is an 80s record, and yeah. the production makes that very clear very 80s, for yeah. you from one moment. But she's not quite an 80s artist. No, she's more like someone who fell out of a musical. Like, she did a lot of musicals in high school just before her gap year when she started to write this album. I'll buy that. She's one of the late 70s art rock people in the same vein as, like, a Peter Gabriel type of a thing. But mm. Peter Gabriel, over the course of the 80s, moved to meet it, and she stayed super weird as the rest of the scene that she came out of branched out and tried things. 
Well, I feel like she definitely tried things. Like, don't sell her short. She tried some things. Yeah, there were 100%. (laughs) And I am still, like, re-listening to this myself, running up that hill and the Hounds of Love, the very first two tracks, Yes, are a couple of my favorite, why was this on the radio, 80s singles. Yeah. That were all over the radio. So Kate Bush definitely has, like, I've obviously heard her. I haven't heard any of these songs. I have to listen to songs, like, passively before I can like them actively. Um, So I tried to, like, listen to it a few times without paying too much attention to it. Except, wow, does she not let you do that? It's like, oh, were you trying to just listen to this in the background? Fuck you. Here's some weird sounds that don't belong here. Did I just hear a theorem? Yeah, I think I did. It was the scariest and most depressing theorem I've ever heard, but it was there. Yeah, it does require that kind of active listening. And if that's not something that you're looking for in 80s pop, (laughs) which, like, for a notoriously shallow decade. But, like, I feel like you should be able to just, like, do cocaine when you're listening to 80s pop. Not that I do a whole lot, or any, for that matter. But, like, you should just be able to, like, do cocaine and not understand the music. And I don't think Kate Bush gives you that option. I think she says, sit down, smoke a joint, unpack, listen... Real hard. I don't know. I think Hounds of Love, I've probably danced to while drunk at Dickens on an 80s night. That sounds not wrong. But also, like, Chris is a weird DJ. He's a super weird DJ, and yeah. he has a super weird audience. The weirdest. Conveniently, I'm super into it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I go. But it's weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. No, it's a weird atmosphere. We should play a drinking game every time somebody says weird. We have to take a drink. Yeah, I may edit out some of the weirds so as to not murder my own audience. Because <laughs> this is a weird record by a weird artist. Kate Bush's first single was a piano ballad uh, about a ghost based on a Charlotte Bronte novel. I don't know who Charlotte Bronte is. Oh, it's Wuthering Heights. Oh, okay. She wrote a song about Wuthering Heights, and then that was an international number one hit single because the late 70s were also pretty all over the map in terms of what people were willing to listen to. I just have a hard time kind of imagining what life was like before you could just find anything you wanted musically. Like, you just had to rely on the radio so much more, I assume? Yeah, the radio mattered. And you had a limited budget with which to buy and curate your own musical experience. Yeah, that sounds really rough. Yeah. And you would wake up early in the morning on a Wednesday if somebody that you liked put out music that you liked, in order to physically travel to a physical place and buy a physical object so as to listen to that piece of music, it was basically caveman days. So during the Stone Age, bands got way bigger than I think they do now. But, like, do you think more people would like Kate Bush now, or less? I don't know. She definitely, two years ago, decided that she wanted to play a bunch of shows, but didn't want to travel around the world. Because, like, she's getting older. And is a living legend. And I'm going to assume that she was pushing 60 because that's what 80s bands are doing. Okay, uh, makes sense. The Cure did a music festival under similar circumstances. Uh, you realize, oh shit, I'm almost 60. I should probably do something right now while I'm not. But she didn't want to travel. So she arranged, I think, like 50 dates in one large venue and then stitched her uh, catalog together into a loose narrative and trusted that people would travel to her in order to watch a show with more elaborate production values because it didn't have to tour. And it sold out probably every night. I have a box set of the soundtrack on vinyl. Well, I guess people, people do that in Vegas, right? That's just called a residency. 
I was looking at you like you're crazy while you're explaining this, and then I realized that's a residency. Yeah, but not in Vegas. I mean... She did it near where she lived. Where does she live? I want to say London. Okay, she's a She's a UK-based artist. Yeah, yeah, so, like, I think you can do that in a densely populated area like London. Like, you couldn't do that in Calgary. If no. you're in Calgary and you're like, like, I'm Tegan and Sarah, and I'm so amazing, and I'm from Calgary, and so I'm just gonna do 50 nights in a row in Calgary, Calgary would be like, fuck you, you can do this <laughs> one night. I'm definitely gonna go, like... Maybe three times yeah. <laughs> over the course of your three-month engagement. But I'm a decent-sized Tegan and Sarah fan, and I would not be in the majority there. <laughs> but also, like, that was just, like, the biggest name I could think of from Calgary. I realize Jan Arden's from here, but I don't give a fuck. Shade Throne? <laughs> what about Katie Lang? Does she count as Is from she here? from Calgary? She's from a town near Calgary. Like Hannah kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, one of them. Does that make Nickelback from Calgary? Uh, on behalf... Oh, Nickelback could probably do a residency in Calgary. I bet you that would do surprisingly well. Oh, that hurts my heart, but I it's know, true. I know. Remember that time that one country artist did six nights in a row here? Who was that? Was and that Garth Brooks? Who fucking cares? They all look the same. And I can't tell any of them apart, but it was like one straight week. And it was sold out every goddamn night. And there was even matinee shows. And I was, like, so disappointed in Calgary. Our main thing is a rodeo. You're gonna have to have a good attitude with the fact that we get too into country music. You know what, though? In Ontario, I have found that people like country way more than they do out here. Do they? Oh, my gosh. Because, like, we only play country that one residency, almost, and Stampede. Other than that, you have to go to, like, two specific bars to hear country music, but it's not, like, a big thing, whereas in Ontario, it's fucking everywhere. Like, I went to a Jays game, and it was country day. It was a nightmare. But at the same time, like, this is the province in which you can start out in a hardcore punk band, and by the end of your 20s, you're a country artist. Who that? Core Blunt. Really? Yeah. Have you not heard the Smalls? They're very fast and very loud, and I was super into them in junior high. Okay. Do you have a pen so I can just write that down? I'll text it to you. Okay, great. But yeah, that's what Alberta does to people. That's what we listen to. Interesting. That's the culture that we pretend to have for the sake of tourism. If you're not from Calgary, that's our real culture. Please come and spend tourist dollars here. My uh, industry is tourism adjacent. I need that day job. Yeah, totally. For those of us who are from Calgary, I almost never hear country music here. I always hear it when I go back to Ontario. That's because you know how to avoid things that you don't like here. You're from here, so you understand the town better. Good point. So is it the production uh, of the songs that you're not connecting to, or is it the songs themselves? It's the songs themselves. I genuinely feel like if a girl wrote a musical about her gap year, this is what it would sound like. I think that's the most succinct. All right, then I won't send you other versions of these songs. Wow, no, please don't. Wait, is there like a weird cover by like a punk band? Because I'm... Kind of into hearing that. All right, we're going to send you the Future Heads version of Hounds of Love. Okay, cool. It's like uh, a mid-2000s Franz Ferdinand style. Yeah, I'm so into that. Uh, Let's do that. Um, Post-punk vibe. Placebo, if you remember those guys. Uh, who could forget do Placebo? a slowed down version of Running Up That Hill that's trying to be haunting. That's unnecessary. But that's... A lot of placebo is unnecessary. Well, that's why they called themselves placebo. That's 100%. Yeah. And good for them for having that level of self-awareness about themselves. Yeah. I don't know absolutely. why I'm ragging on Placebo. I definitely liked those first three or four records. I feel like you actually sent me at least two albums. Back when, like, downloading music was a pain in the ass, you would send me stuff. It was nice. 
You also sent me the entire discography of Depeche Mode, which literally no one needs. You asked for it! <laughs> you, you offered that one pretty quickly. Absolutely! I got right on board! Yeah. I think I asked for, like, but some of it, it's and not like I showed like, up. I want all of it. Here. And I was like, sure? There's no wrong... My mom's computer totally has room for that. There's no wrong amount of Depeche Mode. No, and my brother, if you're listening, I love Depeche Mode, I love you, you're a good kid. Uh, that's all I got. Like, half of my love of Depeche Mode is faked for my brother. He's not going to listen. No, he's not. No. And yeah, it's a good way to, music is a good way to connect with other people. Obviously, I host a show premised on that exact... On connecting <laughs> over music. I think it's really funny that, like, I feel like we both recommended Teenage Girl albums to each other. Yeah, kind of, yeah. actually. Yeah, it was very much like a soundtrack to a teenage girl life. And I was interested when I recommended this, yeah. because I knew that you hadn't listened to a Kate Bush record the whole way through, but I knew for goddamn certain that you had listened to a lot of records by people who grew up listening to a ton of Kate Bush. Absolutely. I definitely have, and I definitely like people who are influenced by Kate Bush. I just think I missed the boat on Kate herself. Yeah, once you hear everybody else using and then building upon the tropes established here. Yeah. The fact that she's the one who did it first doesn't necessarily overcome the fact that we have progressed past this point. It's kind of like getting into sci-fi first and then reading the Bible. Sci-fi pulls on Bible tropes a lot. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm more. Yeah, so it's, it's like getting really into sci-fi and then going back and reading the Bible and being like, ooh, this is kind of dry. I miss the spaceships. Right. Although a science fiction musical based on the Bible. I, f I feel like if... I, I bet that it does. I be 100% had Firefly been allowed to go on that long, there would have been a musical episode. Yes, Joss Whedon enjoys that. Yeah, we could have relied on him for that. Yeah, he's a trustworthy person as far as what episodes he does of what shows he is in control of, if not to be married to. <laughs> to be married to. <laughs> Joss Whedon shade for... <laughs> No reason. That didn't even sound like shame to me. I was like, yeah, facts. <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> uh, I feel like it counts as shade if you bring up something that's true, but apropos of nothing. I don't know what apropos means. Uh, with regard to. Like, oh. just for no reason. It's true. Did it have anything to do with a conversation that was happening previous to that? Not really. I think it did. It came up naturally. Are we excited about the Buffy reboot if we're talking about that? Uh, I haven't decided yet. Right. I think I need to know more before I can decide how I feel. What if I told you that it was a prequel series? Yeah, I'm down. Featuring that one slayer that Spike kills on the subway in New York in the 1970s during Spike's... Oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 100%. Actually, basically anything other than it's the exact same character but black, I'm into it. As long as it's not Buffy is black this time. Not that, like, I'm, I'm totally here for a black Buffy. I just, like, what if we just had a different fucking character? Have it be a new character with yeah. new things. New character, new things. I think that it will have to be, because if you go back and rewatch, and I'm not necessarily saying that you should, it almost looks like it was a show made today as a period piece set in the late 90s. <laughs> like, it is powerfully late 90s. Yeah, it is. It's one of those moments where you go, oh, I didn't know this era dated. I was six when it came out, and I started watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer at the tender age of six years old, and so I just grew up on it. I would love if it's like a Slayer post-Buffy. I was listening to Fat Man on Batman, and they said, what if Buffy was Giles in this scenario? 
And I'm here for that story as well. Sarah Michelle Geller is not busy. I don't Sarah think. Michelle Geller is not capable of expressing more than two emotions with her face right now. What uh, happened to Sarah Michelle Geller? Just so much Botox. Oh no. Yeah, she did a show a while back with um old man. Um Star Trek, help me out. Patrick Stewart. No, the older. We gave him a white hat a couple of years ago. Oh, uh... Yeah, right? William Shatner. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I was going to get there eventually. Uh, you yeah, did. She, she did a show with, I think, William Shatner, and William Shatner played her dad. Or maybe... Wait, you're thinking of Robin Williams. I am thinking of Robin Williams. William Shatner had a Boston Legal at the time. There, this was, like, the same story. Yeah, there are so many. There, this is the same story, but with Robin Williams. And Robin Williams was delightful in that story, but Sarah yeah. Michelle Gellar did not express, like, her eyebrows. There's so much Botox. I... So much Botox. I'll be honest, I watched the first season. Of this show that I can't remember? Yeah. Okay. Uh, shortly after Robin Williams passed away. Oh. Because that was the most recent thing he'd done. Okay. And I wanted to watch Robin Williams riff for a few hours and then feel sad. Yeah. I didn't notice specifically the amount of Botox, but I was pretty fucked up about it at the time. So, yeah, you probably felt like there was some weird Uncanny Valley shit going on with a real human being, which isn't supposed to happen. Like, it's supposed to be, like, dolls or clowns or, or stuff like that that's not actually human gives you that. Rather than a human that has somehow become less so. But, I mean, you spend so little time looking at characters who aren't Robin Williams. <laughs> When Robin Williams is on a program? I guess, but, like, if you grew up with Buffy, like, Buffy and Sailor Moon were it for me in the late 90s. So, to see her after that, and I even loved her as Daphne in Scooby-Doo. That was a stacked cast. I, I loved that. I don't movie. So much. necessarily agree with you on that being a good movie. <laughs> I didn't say it was good. I said but, I loved it so much. Like, they could not have cast it better. I said I loved it so much. It's lovable. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta love something. Sometimes you have to find it in your heart. Why do you love this album, just to bring it all back? Like, this was going so against the grain of what was happening elsewhere in pop music in the mid-1980s. This feels like almost a Missing Link type affair between some of the weirder alternative art pop new wave stuff that was going along during this period and the more mainstream Huey Lewis, Belinda Carlisle bangles type radio music and i thought that the balance here was struck in a way that i didn't know that it could be like this feels like a piece of college rock that your weird art school friend hands you while high at a party yeah, and okay. screams you have to listen to this but in the context of when it came out this record put three different singles into the top 10 in the uk this record sold millions of copies around the world. These songs were all over MTV and Much Music back when those two stations were playing music videos. Much Music has looped back. Are they doing music videos Part of the record, yeah. Good for Much Music. Yeah. That's not... I mean, it doesn't matter because the music's trash, but... I mean... And we have YouTube. I want to give an impassioned defense <laughs> of artistry in popular contemporary music in 2018. But I suspect that none of the bands that I'm going to name are on much music <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. I believe you're probably correct. I do enjoy some modern music. And 
If I can make a recommendation to you, having listened to this album three times now, I feel like you might enjoy a local band called Hello Moth. It's a fellow, but he has a very, like, ethereal, musical, gothy kind of vibe to him that I find is very almost masculine Kate Bush. And I want to say almost masculine, because he's not, yeah. like, very masculine, but you might very much enjoy it. And for the price of a local show? Plus, go see live music. Just period. Yeah. I've bought tickets to concerts where I don't even know the band because it's my day off. The ticket's inexpensive, and I like happy crowd noises. Totally. And I think that dudes can believably pull off this kind of over-emotive, theatrical style of performance. Hello Moth is definitely giving it a go. Nice. Yeah. The, uh, the dude from ABC definitely is singing like he's the lead in a Broadway show set in 1982 that was written in 2018. Yes. In a very satisfying way. <laughs> yes. Uh, meatloaf is not my bag. I... But you can better fucking admit that he emotes. <laughs> I have seen Meatloaf twice. The first time was significantly better than the second time. I... because of his age. I saw him once on accident. How do you accidentally see Meatloaf? The opening act was Cheap Trick. And I don't know if you knew this about me. I came very close to buying Nickelback tickets last year because the opening act was Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick put on a real good show. <laughs> and if I'm going to catch them for 45 minutes and then buzz off, I'll beat traffic. You Although, absolutely would. in Meatloaf's case, Meatloaf, as you know, is spectacular live. He is super enjoyable live. In 2006, he was very enjoyable live. In 2016... All sorts of negative experiences for everybody, especially the sound guy. Oh, no. Uh, the person doing sound had never listened to a Meatloaf song before oh. and really mixed the music very poorly, featuring the guitar more heavily than the piano. See, this is why you take a residency for a couple or three months. Or bring a sound guy with you. Yeah, hire your own sound guy. You're Meatloaf. You're Come on. internationally. Yeah. Like, we paid something like 60 bucks a ticket. You can probably afford to bring a sound guy with you. Or, If like, you can continuously hire younger and younger and younger girls to sing with you. Which you can. Which you absolutely can, Meatloaf. Looking at you, bud. And make out with them at every concert. That feels... No one's complained. No one has complained. Everybody's like, that's what Meatloaf does. Anyways... Feels uncomfortable. <laughs> it is uncomfortable. Every time I go, I'm like, that girl is, is my age or younger. Anyways, he can definitely afford to bring a sound guy with him. Yeah. Or girl, sound girl, too. I know ladies do sound. The majority of sound technicians I know, I think, are female. Is that true? Hold on. I don't think that is true for me. No, it's probably not true in any kind of widespread way. <laughs> but on an individual basis, you know how many? Like, five? <laughs> sound people? Yeah. Uh, no, I know quite a few. I can only think of one woman, and that's Alison Hardy, that has ever mixed sound. And that's just through jubilations. Uh, everybody else, like I've worked at Dickens for four years, so they have quite a few sound people just on hand. See, I never meet the people who are doing sound at Dickens. So for me, it's all people that I know through jubes, at which point it's uh, Gail for a lot of years in Edmonton and Jess Rose for a ton of years in... Winnipeg. I don't think I've even met Jess Rose. Oh, um, you are cheaper for not having had that experience. I, She's a delight. I do feel like I'm missing out. 
But the Calgary Theatre only ever had men do sound while I was there. I think that's probably was my experience. No, it was Alison Hardy for a couple or three of them. I only knew her as an Edmonton person. Well, that'd be why then. You, I left before you got there. No, we entered, like... Yeah, I mean, there was overlap. How we have met? No, there was overlap, but, like, yeah. I was at the tail end and you were starting. And at the tail end. I kept that short. Seems a good job to burn out on. Or to do for a lot of years and then flame out spectacularly on. Yeah, and get fired several times? Okay, yes. <laughs> but both managers that fire me were definitely gone themselves six months later. So I could arguably put forward the idea that neither of those were my fault. Even though they definitely both partially were. I was kind of a fuckboy in my 20s. Just in your 20s. Since then, I've grown into a tall and proud fuckman. Is there an adult equivalent? <laughs> to a fuckboy? Yeah. <laughs> fuckman is obviously wrong. I don't know. I, like, mm, no, probably not. Uh, I guess I better be a better person. This was about the same time that Kate Bush did Don't Give Up with Peter Gabriel from when we uh, saw that, and he sang it with somebody other than Kate Bush because she does not... Tour. Tour. She actually toured her first record and did the residency and then nothing in between. Okay. Because her first tour was... She has a really strong visual sense, and I think it was one of those Lady Gaga, MC Hammer, Cardi B at Coachella affairs where the tour gets so elaborate that even if it sells out every night, you're still losing money. And then when Wait, she... did Lady Gaga lose money on tours? Uh, yeah. Wild. Yeah. What? She, she spent all of the Lady Gaga money from the first two records on Lady Gaga tours. Every decision that she made for her first three records had me convinced that she was doing an elaborate performance art piece about the nature of fame in the 21st century, and that the music that she was making was kind of an afterthought. Because she had the one where she blew up and became the biggest star in the world. She had the one where it was the biggest first week sale of any album of that year to cement the fact that she was now a superstar. And she had the one that underperformed and brought her crashing back down to the ground. And it was too neat narratively to not feel intentional to me. Fair. And if I'm right, then she's a fucking genius. I think it's possible. Because she, I think she's probably a fucking genius. Yeah, like everything she does... Seemed intentional. Yeah. I My favorite move of hers... Now, I keep talking about how much plastic surgery people get, and I feel really shallow all of a sudden. But she got a nose job immediately before Born This Way came out. So, like, the music videos from before Born This Way... Like, her first album, music videos, there's, like, a lot of nose. And then Born This Way comes out, and she looks like a different person entirely. And I was like, guys, are we sure? Uh, this, this this is the song that you want to post nose job with. Yeah, but nobody blinked, and I was like, okay. Nobody yeah. called her on it? Yeah, I guess you're born this way, girl. She was a pop star in her imperial phase, and part of that, oh, you do you not? It's a theory that one of the Pet Shop Boys put forward. A pop star gets to a point where they're in their imperial phase, where they are the main thing happening in pop, and every time they release anything, it is worthy of news. Mm, but the okay. news focuses on the actual art that an artist makes. And then they eventually hit a point where that is no longer the case. And now they have to go back to being a regular-sized pop star. Okay. And their life starts mattering again. In much the same way that everyone would, for a run of albums there, stop talking about how, for example, Kanye West is a straight-up crazy person. 
every time he released a piece of music. Really? Like, we stopped talking about how crazy he was every time he released music? Yeah, we don't do that anymore, obviously. I just feel like the music was the first sign for me. Like, I was like, this is the weirdest shit I've ever heard. People buy this? This is so fucking weird. Yeah. What's happening right now? This isn't even the genre it claims to be right now. Because I only experienced Kanye West on SNL, basically. But, like, he's, like, lying on the ground for half of his performances. He's, I don't know. I don't feel like his music was in any way a detraction from how fucking off the chains he's been. Yeah, this was previous to that. It was his first three records and then probably 808 and Heartbreak. Oh, okay. We would all talk about... I didn't know he was crazy back then. Yeah. No Uh... one did, because we would all shut up about it every time we put out a record. Okay. Kanye West is doing all these interesting, weird things in public. And also, ooh, new Kanye record. All right, let's really discuss the creative merit of this piece of work that he's done. And then like four months after that, you'd be back to low-key making fun of him. I once heard that Downward, the guy from Downward went to meet with Kanye West to talk about collaborating. And he did not end up working with Kanye West because he felt that Kanye West was too fucking weird. Wow. Yeah. At the same time. (laughs) I would work with Kanye West in a heartbeat in any capacity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, like, that's we're clubs. Gonna... <laughs> uh, but, like, Diane Ward's, like, super weird and, like, really famous for how weird they are. And they're not, like, weird people. They're just, like, weird musicians. I don't know anything about their personal lives at all. Um, and I don't have to, which is so delightful. Thank you so much, Diane Ward, for not putting any of that on us. But, yeah, to, like, come away from working with Kanye West because you're like, uh, no, the guys who came up with the song, I think you're freaky and I like you a lot, felt that Kanye West was just a little too freaky. Wow. I know. But yeah, Kate Bush's first tour nearly bankrupted her. I'm good at this. (laughs) (laughs) And then by the time she got back from it, music videos were a thing. And And a music video, yeah, you can apply your weird art school visual sense and then bring it in on budget. And then she took... A number of years off touring, which is why Peter Gabriel sings Don't Give Up with a vocalist that he hired for that purpose, uh, rather than the original person who was in uh, the song with him. But I mean, when you if you like do a, a duet with somebody who's equally as famous as you are, it's impossible to bring that person on every tour you go. That's 100%. Or even somebody more famous than you, right? Like, if Kiki... I don't know if Kiki D's still alive, but she definitely can't tour with Elton John. For that one song? <laughs> no, I'm sure she has they shit to do. two songs. What the fuck else did they sing together? I don't know, but there's two songs I saw in my karaoke book. Alright. <laughs> I was like, what? Why is there two songs? We have to learn the other Elton John-Kiki D duet. <laughs> Deal. And then fuck with people at a karaoke bar. <laughs> yeah, I think for duets... What's the rule of thumb there? Is it the person who wrote it who gets custody of the song after the songwriting partnership breaks up? It's probably the person whose album it appears on, because Don't Give Up was on Peter Gabriel's rather than Kate's. But she didn't tour, so she she can't tour with it because she doesn't tour. That's true. Did she do it in her residency? Uh, She did not. Uh, It was all her own songs from her own records. But do you think that's because she wanted to celebrate her a little bit more, or...? I think so. I think she is one of those characters who likes a level of dictatorial control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Over the work that she's doing. Did she, like, produce everything? She seems like someone who would... My instinct is yes. produced her own albums. Or, like, had an absurd amount of oversight. Yeah, because she wrote... Yeah, she wrote everything. 
Definitely. Every note, every word, etc. I think she did. It feels like the sort of thing that she would do. And looking it up is difficult, and I'm not going to, because this is definitely the show where people have opinions, not the show where people present book reports. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> but she, yeah, she feels well, like somebody who would self-produce. Yeah. By um, this point in her career. I mean, if we're going as opinions. Yes. I see value in this as a contribution to music, but I would never listen to it ever again on my own. It's um, is an emotional roller coaster with the depth of a kiddie pool, lyrically. There's lots of depth musically. That's really unfair of me to say. I really admire her willingness to just sound really fucking weird. When I first wrote that down in my notes, I scratched it out because I was like, oh shit, where is she from? This might be like a Bjork thing where like she's, English isn't her first language. Like, am I being racist? But she's from England, so I don't feel so bad. She just, she approaches pronouncing words wrong with just so much enthusiasm. And it's not like a British accent thing. She just, this will sound neat as a harmony with me pronouncing the word normally which I thought was a bizarre choice that would only be popular in the 80s. Yeah, she's one of those creators that you can like or not like at your leisure, but there's no mistaking her for anything other than unapologetically herself. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And I will go a long way for an artist who I get a clear sense of. Okay. While I'm listening to them. Whether I like it or not, I'm at the very least having an experience that I could not possibly get anywhere else from anyone else. Which I guess is time. Uh, You've already answered the first of my three questions at the end of the show. Will you ever listen to this Uh, record again? Pretty definitively. Yeah, no. Ever want to listen to a different Kate Bush record that doesn't sound so 80s? Maybe. All right. And if you had to pick one track from Actually, you know what? I was hanging out with some friends recently, and they put on a different Kate Bush song, and I was like, fuck, this chick's following me right now. Yeah. But yeah, it was equally weird. There's a lot of that going around certain art school circles. And if you had to pick one track to close out on, what would you pick? From this album? Yes, indeed. Whatever song four is, with the weird theorem. We're going to be closing out tonight on Mother Stands for Comfort. Yeah. By Kate Bush. This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. I have been Chris. Follow us along at SoundtrackCast on Facebook and Twitter, SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, rate us. Review us. Reviews are super helpful with something like this, as you know if you listen to literally any podcast. Sarah, do you got any kind of online presence or upcoming projects that you want to push? I don't, unless you want to hear about my opinions on politics. Then you can follow me at Sadie Hogan on Twitter. Which you might. She is full of opinions. Very full. This has been the soundtrack to a life. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a different record and a different conversation. Mm-hmm.